Welcome to the Voices in Healthcare Equity, the podcast dedicated to making a difference in healthcare worldwide. I'm your host, Kim Tranquata, a dedicated physician advocate with over 25 years of experience in healthcare. As an emergency physician and the founder and CEO of Healthcare Alliance for an Equitable World, I've experienced firsthand the urgent need to confront healthcare disparities. Our world grapples with a daunting shortage of 6 million physicians and several million other essential healthcare workers, such as nurses, midwives, dentists, pharmacists, and others. At Healthcare Alliance for an Equitable World, we're utilizing telehealth solutions to bridge this global healthcare workforce gap today. We're not just creating change, we're building a global community of healthcare professionals who can contribute to global health efforts regularly, all from the comfort of their own homes. And with this change, all people across the globe can get world-class healthcare. Voices in Healthcare Equity is our platform to unite this community. This podcast features insightful conversations with innovators in global health, shedding light on the current state of healthcare worldwide and its future. We invite you to join us, be a part of this growing community, and embark on a mission to leave a lasting, scalable impact on global equity within our lifetime. Together, we can make a world of difference. Today's episode features my friend, Milton Chen, who is the CEO and co-founder of VC. He's a graduate of Stanford University, where he completed his PhD. He's a computer scientist, but also a philanthropist and healthcare equity advocate. We're so glad to welcome you to our podcast, Milton. Thank you for being here. I'm so, I'm so honored and privileged to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Before we begin, I always like to give you an opportunity to in, uh, identify any conflicts of interest or if you have any affiliate disclaimers you'd like to, to put forth. I see I'm good to go. Awesome. So if you wouldn't mind starting out by telling us about your company, VC, and how you've incorporated global equity into your business. Yeah, Ken, thank you so much for that. Uh, to be completely transparent, when I started this startup journey, I was just completely clueless. I had no sense of healthcare equity, even the needs of the global population. And I was just a big computer nerd. I love computers. I love reading books. I was just like as clueless as it could possibly be. And then um, when I co-founded the company, then we were just getting... NGOs and they just were reaching out to us. They want to use our software in refugee camps, everything. And then we just got started pulling into some of those activities. And then I started just going to, I remember my first trip to uh, Africa. That was to the country of Gabon. And then we went into, you know, it's probably like five, six hours into the jungle and just seeing the, like literally just, no medical infrastructure in there. I think that was planting a lot of the seeds into how we should be both able to build a company that's for profit, you know, like take care of the employees, the great right software. Also our responsibility to actually have, a, you know, like have a, at least a minor impact to as much as we can on um, you know, healthcare equity. That's uh, amazing. Thanks for sharing that journey. 
Um, what lessons uh, would you say you've learned from uh, working in these uh, resource uh, poor environments and developing telehealth for use in places that are very remote across the globe? Yeah, I would say there are definitely a lot of little things you I learned. It's one of those things where until you go there in person, go there into the field, there's just like little things like, you know, transportation, electricity, of course, the internet, like all these are there. And then I'm pretty uh, privileged, I guess now fast forward now, I have been to over 50 countries doing in-field deployment. You know, for example, I went to Iraq three times. I was in Syria. I would say, as I look back, think about all these places I've been to, all these projects we have done, I think the biggest lesson um, I, I learned is, so most people, when they think about telehealth, they think about, let me do a video conference, call it, like Zoom, Microsoft, these are wonderful product, you know, have definitely changed the world. But when you come down to doing telehealth, especially in low resource, low income scenarios, video conference is probably 1% of the challenge. The another 99% is right, what is the logistics, how to get medications, is the user interface easy enough to use for a community health worker who most likely is a high school graduate? Do they feel comfortable using your tools? Right? Like all the, so it's almost maybe the best thing to think about is when you think about telehealth, you think of the value it can create. But most people don't think about the, the total life cycle cost. What does it cost to actually deploy? Of course, most of the software are donated for free, but if you were to add in how much the training time you need to provide, how much time you need to work with government officials for their blessing, how about even the patient? Do this patient feel, uh, you know, like they feel comfortable with these, right? So when you add in all that cost, right, that cost is actually enormous in there. So the key insight we have is today, the state of our telehealth as a practice in most of the uh, countries around the world, uh, actually the actual cost is much higher than the value they actually create. Because of that, most of these telehealth, they get stuck in pilots. Right. For example, very rarely you could go see someone and say they just do full-scale deployment across the whole country. Most of them, they do a little bit pilot here and there. So after a couple of years, they lose the steam and they just sort of stop. Again, I would say probably that's the biggest thing. Really just understand the little details until you can bring the true life cycle cost of whatever program you do until it's low enough, you actually have a positive return on the investment. So how are you and your VC team um, working towards uh, managing that cost and making it um, equivalent to the benefit? Yeah, thanks for that question. I think the number one thing is, I would definitely think is our team is definitely not any smarter than the other teams in there. But what you need to do is you just need to go there. Right. Like you cannot, you can't just say sitting in the Silicon Valley here or in America, say, let me build something there. You just got to get on the airplane and go there. In fact, you can't just go there once. You have to go there enough time to a little bit immerse yourself into that scenario. And then what happens is, at least what we find is once you immerse yourself into the community you're serving, as you watch 
the people use your product and services, then literally I can almost guarantee you every time you do this, you're gonna come up with like 50 things. Oh my god, we could do better here, we could do better here. Like then of course then you go talk to the engineer, fix that. Then the next time you go there, then the 50 things you do. Again, I think that's how it's like it's our formula in there. Just go there and make changes every time it gets better and better and better. That's a very common innovation cycle, right? You test, you uh, get data, and then you improve and you keep going forward and forward. Yeah, I would say in that case, uh, how maybe my VCs were a little bit different from other telehealth companies. Uh, so we spent over 500 man years create a set of Lego-like building blocks. So the idea is, right, for example, if you were to, if you think about, let's say you want to build a house, you could just go build your house, custom design, everything there. Or you could say, let me manufacture in a way. Can I just get a bunch of plug and play components, like a piece them together, then using that method to make my house. So essentially VC is doing that by having this or a bunch of the Lego-like tech digital building block. So now allow us to make the changes very fast. So often, for example, when we do deployment, when we, in, we actually do adjustment of the software in the field, like literally we'll be, for example, running clinic. I remember the first couple of trips were in Iraq, literally you know, we do a whole day working in the refugee camp at nighttime. We're writing code, changing code, making adjustment. Next morning we have a new version. Again, I think by making it very fast to make changes in this, then of course you can speed up the innovation cycle, then you can be able to get to that easy, really easy to use software experience much faster. Takes a lot of dedication to work day and night to innovate on the run and on the fly, I'm sure. How do you stay up? I know like when me and my team go there, just seeing actual patient, serving actual patient is the biggest adrenaline rush you get, right? We get so much like ideas that we just can't wait to go back to a hotel and start like making changes to workflow. That was it's, a, it's actually pretty easy because it's just sometimes just like the problem you see, like the deficit, you know, the improving user interface, the workflow, it, like it's so obvious. It's like we can't let people experience that thing tomorrow. Let's just let's make the changes the next after dinner and so on. Well, it sounds like you're really driven by the ability and the seeing the good that you can do for people yeah i think um i i, I really feel like um is worrying that one moment maybe like history and time where the healthcare system not just in the u.s but globally is getting digitized in this like for example if you go to the philippines they have massive program um you know, universal healthcare coverage, you know, there's like, they have just a lot of these infrastructures, just like every country, right? They're doing these, I think it's an impact on people's lives. It's pretty profound in this. That's how I almost feel myself. I'm very lucky to be able to add a moment in time, we get to do something that hopefully have a big positive. And as a by the camp, I think the the organization you build in it is like amazing. Like this is hard, like to be a catalyst for good. It is so awesome. So. Well, thank you. I think we have uh, connected and worked together because of that drive to make the world better. Um, 
as you go into these low resource and rural communities, what would you say the greatest telehealth and healthcare equity challenges are that you see? Uh, is your software services, is it designed for low resource rural communities in there? So what I mean by this, right, for example, there's a lot of user interface. If you were to deploy to, let's say, Kaiser Permanente or a U.S. big hospital, it's just a, it's no big deal, right? With that same user interface, you deploy in the low resource setting would not work. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, so we have a master project called the Baby's First 1,000 Days Project in the Philippines. You know, we're on track to manage over 100,000 moms and babies. And now in the case, right, so we, of course, we have to work with the local community health workers. We're actually knocking on doors, tracking babies, you know, like their nutrition, you know, there's all these things, right? So... Uh, we develop a set of form, digital forms for them, but paper is still just much more easy to use than anything digital. Let me let me work with you. Let me un- try to understand what are the challenges to technology adoption. So by working with them over the past couple of years, now we actually made a number of very small, subtle user interface adjustments. And now they actually feel, oh, yeah, I, I could do this. This is actually better than paper. You know, that's right. Of course, that's just one example where you really have to understand in those scenarios, right? You can't just say technology is always better. In fact, paper is amazing technology. In fact, in many cases, paper is much better than whatever fancy tablet you have in it, right? It's a lot more robust, for one thing. And if there's no internet. If you lose electricity, paper still work, right? Just like you have to understand those things to really have something successful. Another big thing we do is that, you know, when in the U.S. people talk about, you're going to make it something easy to use and stuff, right? To be honest, you just between the two us, right? I think a lot of them are lip service, right? At the end of the day, right, if you go to a hospital, do they really pick the easy to use whatever software, not really, right? In the IT, just pick whatever things, stuff it down the like clinician through. You can take that same approach going to that. It just, you know, what, what happens is you see is people want to be, so be respectful. They'll say, oh yes, we, they'll use whatever thing. You fast forward two years later, are they doing that? No, they're just, it's too complicated. So you really have to make it really, really easy to use. For example, our target for how much, for example, we have a simple EMR. We actually use it, you know, when we run this free clinic in other countries. So our target is, could you take a physician who have no experience with VC? Could they spend 30 minutes, do a quick training, normally the morning before we run this for free clinic? Could they become expert user with 30 minutes of like a group training? If your software is, cannot achieve that, there's just no way is they could deploy. So we work enormous, enormous. Yeah, we could actually achieve that. Like literally, I could take a physician, no, have no idea what VC is. Give sit down thirty minutes. They fully, they could do document. They could do scapula. They could do telemedicine. They could do remote exam. So they become those. So I think that's another thing. It was become really, really. And then the uh, final piece is, so healthcare is such a big problem in this. You must work with a government, right? So typically, these healthcare projects are initiated by the NGOs. For example, can your NGO is awesome in there, right? Like just like so, 
Uh, but NGO companies do so much, you know, right? Because again, at the end of the day, right, healthcare is very expensive. It's whatever country, every city, it's going to be a big part of the GDP. It's healthcare. A big part of government expenses is healthcare. So you must work with uh, governments. I mean, you have to spend time, right? Go meet the mayor. Go meet the governor. Go meet their chief of staff. Go meet the, um, you know, their um, chief medical officers. In fact, if you don't do this, so often we get the cases, right? Um, again, this, I almost wish this could be maybe off the rack. This way. So I, I don't want to position the way not like that. So also what happens is you have a lot of, you know, good, you know, like good harder Americans, right? They want to volunteer. They go to some countries going there. They go there for a week. Then they leave, leave right? They, when they're going there, they cause a lot of disruption to the local healthcare system. When they leave, now what? It's like, it's almost, you could, even though the people mean really, really well, the actual impact, or even potential negative impact, could be even worse, right? Like, do you go there? Do you make the local physician look bad? Are you sort of taking away their livelihood? Now all of a sudden, the local community patient to come to your free clinic versus going to the normal doctor. It's just like, all those issues, right? It's like, I mean, we exist within the fabric of the community. If you don't go there, the, the, my first question is, what is your 10-year plan? In 10 years from now, are you still there? If you just go there, show up one week a year, sometimes, to be honest, if you don't show up, it might actually be better. Right? I, I just want to say that legitimately, right? sometimes it's like, it, it shouldn't be almost like uh, going there. You have to really understand, okay, but really understand going to the community. Right? Like the, when we do a project, the first thing we say, like, you know, we don't want to come in and say, here's a Silicon Valley company with some technology, which uh, let me, I know better than you, just do what I tell you. So, in fact, when we go in the community, the first question we say, like, how about you tell us? The challenger. Let me just listen to you. Like I'm not going to tell you about my technology in there because I don't want to buy it. How many your challenger? Is a TB? Is a maternity? Is a senior care? Is or maybe just nutrition or maybe environmental factor. For example, we work in you know we've been running a clinic into uh, like right next to a massive garbage dump in the Metro Manila area. Right? In that case, sometimes it just the environment. So we want to understand is like, what are the issues? What are the challenges in there? Uh, only until you have listened enough, really truly understand that. Then I think you can say, okay, great. Okay, maybe it's something to allow you. You could do, take whether it's technology, medical expertise, or other thing. Then you want to, again, whatever solution you do, you must become a fabric of that society. If you don't do that, it just, it's almost like, you go into it's almost like going to someone's house, house, pour out a bunch of things. Then you leave after a week, and then they have to go clean out again. So that I would strongly recommend, like, don't do that. So sustainment of um, international uh, and global um, intervention is a a very important thing for the governments and for the local communities, um, and it's an important part of. Uh, ongoing trust building with those communities as well. Well, definitely. I think that the key word, I think it's that trust, right? First, it's just like, I think, unfortunately, the whole world, 
because there's so much money behind the whole NGOs, all these things. Like I said, it's really these are people who really mean well in there, right? But you just if you don't become a fabric of the society, if you don't they don't trust you, if you don't have a 10-year plan that's still serving them in 10 years from now, then it just often is the amount of good you could do is actually very, very limited. And if you're not going to be there for in 10 years, what is your plan for making sure that they can take over the same? Yes, exactly. Exactly. It could be, for example, uh, I'll give you an example. Right now, a lot of community solar is a big challenge, is a big, you know, a savior. And because they don't have stable electricity in there, you could create, let's say, some inventions around whether it's like controller of the solar, you know, how you, you know, better way to manage the power of this. So this could be, if you create that, you, you know, train the local community, they could publish you do this thing. Yeah, that would be your 10-year or 50-year plan, right? They would definitely benefit from this. Thank you for joining us for this two-part episode with CEO and co-founder of VC, Dr. Milton Chen. Join us again next week, where we'll continue our conversation about telehealth in the Philippines. If you enjoyed our episode today, please share it with a friend who you think would also enjoy this topic and conversation. Please also leave us a review, as we'd really like to hear your ideas and feedback. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, email us at info, I-N-F-O, at H-A-E-W dot org. If you'd like to learn more, join us, partner, or donate, please go to H-T-T-P-S colon double slash H-A-E-W dot org.